This is the human light. I'm Sofia Covarrubias. And I'm Isabel Alcantara. Today is January 23rd, 2021. And today we'll be discussing the aims and results of Castro's foreign policy. Our topic for today will be to discuss the aims on social policies, more specifically the impact on domestic health policy, including all positive gains under Castro's universal health care, including doctor-patient ratios, infant mortality, life expectancy, and HIV prevalence. This topic is quite interesting due to the controversies and the actual impact that the revolutionary period and Castro's policy brought to Cuba. That is true, Isabella. To understand the impact, we must first have some context. So the special period in the time of peace in Cuba was an extended period of economic crisis that began in the 1991, primarily due to um, the dissolution of the Soviet Union and by extension the Comic-Con, which, in the Council of Mutual, uh, which is the Council of Mutual Economic Assistance. The economic depression of the special period was its most severe in the early to mid-1990s, and it ended after the year 2000, once Cuba-Russia relationships improved under the presidency of Vladimir Putin. That is true, Sofia. And this special period had a great impact on society and health, which are somehow the, the opposite of what other people expected. Yes, that is true. According to the 2013 study published in the well-respected British Medical Journal, the effects of the special period in the Cuban population were not entirely negative. Whilst for the first time since the revolution of the 1959, Cubans were facing malnutrition and other poverty-related illnesses, the move from meat consumption to eating vegetables, coupled with the reduced access to processed foods, led to a significant decrease in cardiovascular diseases and diabetes. In conjunction with the increase of, uh, in the use of bicycles as a result of the fuel shortage, there was a noticeable improvement in general health, and a population-wide average reduced um, its kilogram by 5.5 per person. You're right. It is also important to note that despite the cutbacks to food and subsidies in public spending, the poor in Cuba enjoyed a far greater level of protection than the poor in any other country at the time. Additionally, since its 1959 revolution, Cuba's infant mortality rate has fallen from 37.3 to 4.3 per 1,000 life births, a rate equivalent to Australia's, and lower than the United States, which is 5.8. In regards to life expectancy, is it true to say, it's true to say that from 1970 to 1960, 2016, sorry, life expectancy increased from 70.04 to 78.7 years, approaching expectancy in the United States which is 79.8. So Isabella, do you know what the doctor-patient ratio is in Cuba and why it is like that? Of course, Sofia. Per capita, Cuba graduates roughly three times the number of doctors as the U.S. In 2005, Cuba had 70,594 doctors. Before the revolution in 1959, there were only an estimate of 6,000 doctors. Cuba leads, leads the world with the lowest patient-to-doctor ratio, 155 to 1 while the U.S. trails way behind at, five, at, at 396 to 1. Cuba produces more primary care practitioners per capita. How did they do it? Well, medical education in Cuba is free. All doctors interested in specializing must first serve two years working in primary care, and graduating doctors are not driven to specialize by salary incentive. This socialist approach toward medicine and medical education assured that human resources necessary to provide universal and preventative health care to all. 
This is quite interesting. Yes, indeed, Sofia. Why don't you follow up on these facts with some news informing regarding Castro's policy for the HIV crisis and the prevalence in the Cuban society? How did they deal with it? Well, Cuba's tragedy differed enormously from other nations and um, and was legally founded in already existing regulation to protect a citizen's health. On advice of Dr. Jorge Perez, the country's leading infectious disease specialist, the government set up a nationalist AIDS commission in 1983 and destroyed all foreign-derived blood products. So from 1986, when the first case of HIV appeared on the island, to 1994, the Cuban government quarantined all people found to be HIV-infected. In the sanatorium, um, patients learned about HIV and AIDS and how the disease um, was transmitted, how a person can prevent transmission to others, and safe sex practices. In 1994, Compulsory quarantining was relaxed, but all new people who tested positive for HIV still had to go to a sanatorium for eight weeks of thorough education on the disease since the first case was discovered on the island in 1986. Local sanitary authorities reported 5,146 HIV positive cases, and out of the 2,247 who got AIDS, 1,177 have died six as of December of 2003. It is interesting to note that Cuba still achieved these successes despite the special period when its GDP dropped perceptually by a depression equivalent of 35% and Cuba also had to contend with crippling U.S. embargo and the restriction access to many drugs and medical services. However, discontinued health achievements were a small comfort compared to the food shortage and the lack of consumer goods that were presented in the country. Well, with this analysis, it is safe to conclude that although Cuba prevailed in health policy during the special period, all other determinants outweigh the benefits. Thank you everyone for listening and tune in for tomorrow's episode here on Cuba's Light.